Let's pray. Can we pray together? Lord, that song is an awesome reminder for all of us here this morning that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we look at this stumbler this morning from John, we pray that you would plant that deep inside of us, assure us of that, Lord, help us to find that, experience that. In your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. So what do you reach for when you're thirsty? You know, when you're really, your throat is parched, it's dry, you're about to just lose it, you got to have something to drink, what's your go-to drink? Now, it's supposed to be water, right? Water's the thing we're supposed to reach for, it's supposed to be the best thirst quencher on the planet, it's supposed to be the best thing for you, but there are so many other drinks crying out for our attention. Sprite says to obey my thirst. So I want to just go get a Sprite. Or Pepsi says the, the drink of a new generation. I mean, who can't, you know, jump into that? Or, you know, milk is supposed to do a body good. And Gatorade's that thirst aid for that deep down body thirst. You know what I'm saying? There's tons of options out there. There's iced tea and there's juice boxes and there's Izzy's and there's all this stuff. I mean, you can go in the store. There's like a whole aisle of drinks. It's amazing. When you're really thirsty, you just want to drink them all. And you usually want to drink the bad stuff. Water's kind of boring at some point, don't you think? No taste, just kind of the same old thing. Old. I just want some of that sugar, some of that, I don't know, electrolytes in my system. Now, I've heard people say this. I don't really buy this, but some people say, you know, there's nothing like a cold beer on a hot summer day. Ever heard that one? I don't buy it. I don't even like beer. People, my friends have tried to give me a, a beer that I would like for years. I, don't, I, don't, I just can't find one. You know, what I, you know my go-to now? Let me show you. See this little can right here? This is magic. This is an apple cider vinegar spritzer from Trader Joe's. This will change your life. This one's called pomegranate, uh, blueberry pomegranate. So it's got, it's got fruit in there. It's got spritzer in there. It's got apple cider vinegar. I mean, all the health thing you could ever want. So when I want to change it from water, I keep these in my fridge. I just, I just drown one of these. It changes my life. The thirst just goes right away. It's amazing. Now this morning, we are looking at a stumbler who is really thirsty. Jesus meets her at a well outside the city of Sychar. She's at the well because she needs water. She's thirsty for water. So she goes to the well because that's where you find water. But she's thirsty for more than just water. She's thirsty spiritually, but she doesn't maybe really know it. Or maybe hasn't acknowledged it or haven't come to the conclusion she's thirsty. So let's dig into the story before we figure out what this story has for us this morning. So we start with John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It reads like this. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now every good Jewish person did not want to go through Samaria. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were considered sellouts by the Jews. They had basically intermarried and interbred with the Babylonians, the Assyrians making them these half-breed sellouts. So the Jews wanted nothing to do with them, and the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with the Jews. So if you were traveling from Judea to Galilee, south to north in the country, you would go east to the Jordan River, up the Jordan River, and then you'd cut back over and you'd go around Samaria. Every good Jew knew this rule. Here John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Did he have to go, or did he want to go? I'm not sure. But Jesus is on a mission And on his mission, he's always teaching his disciples to get on the mission with him. And so he doesn't follow the rules. He goes through Samaria, right through the middle of it. Because he wants to meet 
the Samaritans. He wants to do something with the Samaritans. So John picks up the story like this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about noon, middle of the day. The story is set in the city of Sychar. We don't know where the city is. Archaeologists have looked for it for years. They can't find it. But this well, Jacob's well, is still there. I've been to Jacob's well. It's still there. It's still operating. You still drop a bucket in Jacob's well and get water out of it. It's been there for literally thousands of years. Dug in the book of Genesis, still providing water today. Crazy, right? It also tells us here that this is the plot of ground where, where Jacob gave his son Joseph to bury his bones when they came out of Egypt. So just hang on to that. We're going to go back to that in a little bit. Let's keep reading. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? The woman is reminding Jesus of the rules, the cultural rules. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans don't talk to Jews. And you especially don't talk to a Samaritan woman if you're a Jewish man. These are the rules. This interaction is not supposed to be happening. Why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for a drink? How could you possibly expect me to give you a drink, a Jewish man in my village, asking for a drink? Jesus continues. Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you, who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Now, when Jesus mentions living water, this is something this woman would have understood. Geographically speaking, this is a thing that he's referring to that's in the geography of Israel. It's hard to find water in Israel. You have three sources of water. You can dig a well, which is what they're sitting at. You can dig it deep into the ground, and you'll eventually find water. It's usually okay water. You can drink it. Obviously, Jacob's well's been there for a long time, providing water for people. You can also build a cistern, which is like a tank with plastered walls. It collects the rainwater and stores it. You can scoop the water out of there. The best kind of water you can get in Israel, really hard to find, it's usually under the surface of the ground and bubbles up in certain spots. It's called living water. It's a moving stream of water that is amazing. Literally life-giving water. When I, when I was in Israel the first time, I sat on a cliff in the waterfall of Engedi. I climbed up this cliff. Probably wasn't supposed to be climbing up the cliff, but I was 21 and I was not really that bright. So climbed up this cliff and sat in the water for an hour, letting it run over me, living water. I stunk when I got on the cliff. I mean, we had been in the wilderness for eight hours. When I got done and got in the bus, I didn't have to even wash my clothes. They were totally clean from sitting in the waterfall, letting the water run over my body. It was amazing. So Jesus is offering this woman living water. She's like, well, you don't have a bucket. How do you eat this living water? She still doesn't quite get what he's offering. She doesn't see the spiritual analogy he's painting here. She thinks he's offering him this literal water under the ground. Let's keep reading. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water in the well will be thirsty again. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water 
that I'll never be thirsty again. I wanted to come here to get well at this, water at this well. She still doesn't get it. She's still missing the point. She has no idea the offer Jesus is making. She still thinks he's talking about water in the well, water under the ground, water in her bucket, physical thirst. He's talking instead about spiritual thirst, spiritual dehydration. He's talking about her spirit deep inside. He's, he's offering her something that is way beyond what she's ever experienced. He's offering her eternal life. This is not eternal life when you go to heaven someday after living here for 80 years and you get to finally get to eternal life. This is eternal life right now, right here on planet Earth. The bubbling of God's spirit within you, bringing new life, new perspective, right? A whole new thing going on inside you, changing you from the inside out, a supernatural kind of life connected to your creator and your father in a way that brings life beyond anything the world can offer. You get to taste and participate in the kingdom of God when you drink this water. She still doesn't get it. So Jesus goes deeper. Look what he says. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband if you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, Jesus gives her here what we talked about a few weeks ago in the healing service at Alpha, a word of knowledge about her life. He lets her know that he sees her. You know, I've been, I've been around this stuff for a while. When I was a Timothy Christian, there was a lot of students who were from a charismatic church down the road. And I remember one time this young lady walked in my office and she said, Rev... I'm getting these messages from my fellow students from God. Like the Spirit of God's giving me this stuff. What do I do with it? Now, I tend to be a person who takes risks when I hear the Spirit of God's doing something. I want to be involved. So I said to her, hey, you know what? Why don't you write some of this down on a piece of paper for me? Bring it to me. You know, next time you get these messages, bring me the, the thing you get. So she brings me a message for a couple students and a piece of paper, this whole page. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to address this as a letter to the person that you're talking about, and we're going to sign it from God, from your father. And I will put it in their locker. And that's all we're going to do. We're just going to leave it at that. Well, this girl kept coming to my office like every other day with more of these letters. And I kept putting them in lockers all over the school. Now, of course, I'm the Bible teacher, so in my Bible class, hand pops up. Hey, Rev. What do you think about these letters from God going around? I mean, who, who, who has the, who has the proud, pride to sign a letter from God and put it in, in our lockers? I mean, that's, don't you think this is ridiculous? I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? Who's doing this, Rev? I, I have no idea. As we're talking about it in class, girl in the front row raised her hand and says, hey, Rev, I got one of those letters. I think they're amazing. Whatever was in that letter, like, has cleared some things up for me. I received, like, I don't know, this sense that God really sees me and loves me from that letter that was in my locker. Whoa. So when God points something out, I don't think, see, I think we get this story wrong. I don't think Jesus is trying to shame this woman or point out her sin. I think he's letting her know, I see you. I think there's more to the story than we've typically ever interpreted in this story. I'm going to take you there right now. What's he doing here? What's he trying to do? Well, the typical interpretation of this story is this is an immoral woman 
who's just running around, loose woman, all these husbands, men everywhere. There's some problems with that interpretation. Let me, let me tell you what they are. First of all, women do not initiate divorce in this culture. The men do. As a woman, you don't just go to your husband and say, I want a divorce. You have to get a certificate of divorce from your husband who then signs off and sends you away. Now, maybe she did that. Maybe she pushed all these men and drove them crazy. Or maybe these husbands died, leaving her by herself. Maybe she couldn't produce children, so she kept getting divorced, sent off, packing. Maybe she's living with this guy she's living with that she checked up with this last guy, this sixth guy, because she's trying to survive without a husband. I don't know. Also, if she's such an immoral woman, how in the world has she convinced the whole town to come out and see Jesus? That doesn't make sense to me. Would you listen to some woman that ran, ran in here who we know is uh, running around doing all this crazy stuff? Hey, you guys can come with me and see Jesus. I just, you just told me everything I ever did. We'd be like, okay, you're, you're a nut job. Get out of here. <laughs> Wouldn't we? This woman goes and tells everybody and they follow her. There's another clue in the text. We read it a little earlier. I'm going to take you back here. John chapter 4. Look at this. It's on the screen. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, noon. Now, whenever you see all these geographical city details in the Bible, we typically skim over these, don't we? Because we don't know what this is talking about. But I think John put this here for a reason. He's trying to tell us something that we're going to miss if we don't pay attention. Why is he telling us this specific location of this woman's thing? Why is he giving us all these details from the Old Testament? What's happening here? Well, at the base of Mount Gerizim, there are the, Jones of, the, the bones of Joseph are buried there. Let's think about the story of Joseph. Joseph was a guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to sleep with her, who was wrongly thrown in jail, who was left to rot in jail. Most of the stuff that happened to Joseph was not his fault. Most of the stuff that happened to Joseph was someone else's fault. Sure, Joseph had some responsibility, but most of it happened to him. Interesting. So Jesus approaches this woman in a place where these bones are, maybe saying to us, most of what happened to this woman is not her fault. She's been in this situation. Sure, she's got some responsibility, but a lot of it's just happened to her, so she's really broken because of all that's happened to her. Then he continues and he says, uh, this is in the city of Shechem. Shechem was an Old Testament city of refuge. City of refuge is a place you went if you had an unintentional sin that you committed, especially a maybe unintentional murder, and you ran to the city to receive protection and grace in the midst of your unintentional sin. What if this woman is in this place in Shechem because she committed unintentional sins because of her brokenness and her husband's and all the mess with her life? Yeah, and then at this same site in Mount Gerizim, in Joshua 24, the Israelites renew their covenant with God. They tell, they tell God through Joshua, this day we will serve the Lord for the rest of our lives. So what if Jesus comes here to this place because he wants us to know this woman is not completely at fault. She deserves to be put in a place of refuge and this is a place where you come to renew your covenant with your God, your relationship with your God. And then it gets even better because if you read about this, uh, this 
blessing that, that Jacob gives Joseph in Genesis 49. Hope you're following. The, I see some of you are glazing over. Come on, stick with me now. We're almost getting there. Okay, Genesis 49, 22, look at this. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine by a well. Its branches run over the wall, influencing others. What's Jesus doing? He's the vine who's going over the wall of hostility between Jews and Samaritans, showing up in Samaria at this very place to let this woman know that God cares about her, that he has an offer of healing grace for her, that he wants her to understand, right, that her father in heaven sees her, understands her, wants to heal her, wants to give her living water. And because Jesus has climbed this wall, she feels permission to offer more. So look what she says. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. I love this. She starts to unpack her messed up theology for Jesus. Because Jesus let her know, I see you. I love you. I got an offer of living water for you. I got more for you. And she's like, well, but wait a minute. This is what I know of religion. This is not what I know of God. And she says, no. There's more. There's more. In this place where people renew the covenant, there's more. Now, I was standing at my son's baseball game. He's a Wheaton College baseball player. We were in Florida this week doing spring training for baseball. I was talking to uh, one of the dads. This is a Wheaton College dad. So you would assume Wheaton College dads are people that get it, right? They have Jesus. They figured it out. So I'm standing next to this guy. I have been golfing with him, talking with him over the last few days. And he says to me, you know, I just became a Christian in 2018. I said, really? Yeah, he said, I've been going to church my whole life. I even took my family to church. We sat in church every week. But all kinds of objections to all this Jesus stuff, and I couldn't get it. I would just sit there because I wanted my kids to have faith. And I would just pretend to listen or whatever, and then I would just go through all this thing in my head. Then on Easter Sunday, 2018, the pastor invited us to stand up if we wanted to receive Jesus, and I stood up. He said, my wife and kids are looking at me like, what are you doing? He said, I gave my life to Jesus that day, and then I went to my pastor and said, now, do I, now what do I do? <laughs> I love this. You know, you wonder how many people sit in church not realizing this is the place where you come to renew your relationship with God. This is the place where God sees you. This is the place where you can receive refuge from all the stuff out there, all the pointing fingers. You don't have to give in to your shame, your guilt. You can receive refuge. Jesus is here in this place. He's offering living water to you if you simply just reach out and take it and touch it and receive it. If you're sitting here today and you've never, you've been sitting in church your whole life, but you've never actually, like this man I met at the baseball game, Stood up and said, Jesus, I want your living water. It's for me. Then, this is a great place to do that. There's absolutely no shame. No one's going to be looking going, wow, what happened with that guy? This is a perfect time to come to Jesus and receive the living water that he's offering. Look what this woman says. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming the one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And here at this well, this woman discovers the truth about Jesus. What does she do? 
Look at this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the one Messiah? People came streaming from the village. Now, let's get down the brass tacks. What does this have to do with all, for all, all of us? What does this mean for us? Sorry. Back in the day, good preachers pounded the pulpit, didn't they, a little bit? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, first of all, when you've discovered the truth about Jesus, when, when you understand the living water, you want to tell somebody. There are people all over the place who are dying of thirst. They're stumbling along through life, dying of thirst, and they have no idea where to get a drink. In fact, they keep going to the wrong place to get a drink. We know where to send them. We need to invite them to the well, the living water. So in three days, Wednesday night, right over here in the garden room, 6 o'clock, we're going to start an alpha course. We've been praying for 30 people to show up. Not just 30 Christians who already know the answer, but 30 Christians along with their 30 friends. So actually 60, I mean 15 Christians, 15 friends. You know, we're probably praying too small, but we're relying on you to figure out who do you want to invite into the room to hear about the living water. Who do you want to bring? Hopefully you've been praying for some people. Hopefully you've been considering this. Hopefully you've been thinking about this. You still have three days to get the invitation out. Be like this woman. Be excited and say, I want to bring my friend to hear this amazing news. It's awesome because you can just get to enter the conversation like Jesus did with her at the well. The same kind of conversation. Now the second thing you got to say, what does it mean for us? Well, here's the question. Are you thirsty this morning? Did you come spiritually dehydrated? You know, many of our sins that we commit are simply misdirected spiritual thirsts. It's us trying to fill up, quench the thirst inside of us. So we run all kinds of places and do all kinds of crazy things. Jeremiah says this, My people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that cannot hold water at all. Are you drinking from a cracked cistern? Trying to quench your spiritual thirst? When's the last time you drank from the stream of living water? Oswald Chambers says it this way, Christ is claiming the ability to satisfy the deepest need of the human heart, yet we are strangely reluctant to come directly to him. We will attend ceremonies and observe sacraments. We will follow men and congregate in meetings. We will frequent camps and conventions. We will listen to priests and preachers. Anything, it would seem, except come personally and alone into the presence of Christ. But he is absolutely intolerant. He will quench our spiritual thirst personally, but not by proxy. So this morning... I put water bowls all over the place. And the invitation is come to the water. I don't know why you have to come. I don't know why you're spiritually thirsty. Maybe for the first time in your life you need to come to the water. Maybe you've never come before. You just need to come and say to Jesus, I want you to bubble up within me this life that's really life. Maybe you're in a dry spot, dry season. Maybe you're going through some difficulties. Maybe you need to come because you need to tell Jesus, I trust you with my life. I'm like the woman at the well. I got all kinds of stuff going on. Some of it's not my fault, Jesus. 
but I trust you and your living water to bring perspective and healing to all that's going on. So if you decide to come to the water this morning in a minute, we're going to give you a chance. Here's a way you can do it. The Jewish people were great at this. They did a mikvah. If they didn't have a giant tub of water to jump into, they would just go to the water. They would take it like this and they'd say, God, I give you my heart. They put water on their heart. God, I give you my thoughts and my mind. God, I give you my feet for the path you asked me to walk. And God, I give you my hands to go out into the world and be an agent of living water in the world. So this morning, I invite you to come to the water. Again, don't come because everyone's doing it. Come because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now about why you're thirsty and why you need to come. And Jesus will meet you here. The Holy Spirit will meet you here at the water. It's crazy how when you move from your seat and take a step of faith toward Jesus, he meets you in ways he doesn't when you're just sitting in your seat. Just put that in your mind. Now, we're also going to have our prayers back. We're going to put some people up to pray for you. Maybe you needed to come to the water, and then maybe you need to go for prayer. A few weeks ago, we gave some words of knowledge. We read them out. I want you to know eight of the ten people that we read out came to for prayer. So remember, I read things about an orange with a straw. Well, that person came for prayer. I read someone about a beauty clip with beauty that was lost. That person came for prayer. I read something about a basketball player who had fallen on his left shoulder. That person came for prayer. Okay? The Lord wants to minister to his people. He sees us. Right? This is not some magical thing. This is the Holy Spirit wanting to minister. This is the place of renewing our covenant with God, renewing our relationship, getting our wounds healed. Right? This is, the, this is our Shechem, our city of refuge. So here's a few other words of knowledge. Maybe they apply, maybe they don't. A blue speckled egg cracked with a wooden mallet. One of our prayer people saw a green snake that needs to be stepped on. Somebody else saw a candlelight that's starting to go out and needs to be protected from the wind. Someone else heard the song of a robin, of a bird. Someone else is stuck in the mud. They're trying to get out. And God says, take, just take one step at a time. Maybe the first step this morning is to come and come to the water. Come for prayer. So we've got, this time, 12 minutes. Whoa. The preacher has cut it down short. It's 12 minutes for the, the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Now, if you don't want to come to the water, that's cool. You can be praying in your seat for those who do. You can be a prayer minister. You can join the movement. Pray for those who come. Okay, so the band's going to play. Prayer ministers, why don't you go ahead and get in your spots. Get out, out of your seats. And if you want to come to the water or come for prayer, I invite you right now to do that. And then we'll come up and close the service in about 10 minutes.